You're listening to the Caught Looking Podcast, a must-listen-to podcast about sports, media, culture, and money. Your host is Jerry Harrison Jr., World Series Major League Baseball champion and current Major League Baseball TV analyst. He thinks he's better looking than he really is. You see, that is a handsome man. But he knows his stuff. Live from Los Angeles. Worldwide distribution. This is the Caught Looking Podcast. And this is Jerry Hairston Jr. We're with Tony Gwynn. You can follow Tony Gwynn at Tony Gwynn Jr. on Twitter. Also, Padres radio analyst. I do a good job on the radio. I know you do some radio, too, down in San Diego. Tony, great to have you. Good to be with you, Jerry. How you doing, man? Doing really well. Hey, how are you adjusting right now? I know baseball is not going on, and obviously everything's been shut down. How are you and your family adjusting? I think we're like everybody else, making the adjustments from kids being in school from eight to three to having them at the house 24-7. The first week was just chaotic. Like, nobody knew what to do. We didn't know what kind of schedule they should be on, should have been on. So after the first week, my wife and I, before we started really hearing from the schools, we decided, you know, we're going to put you guys on the schedule because at this point, we're waiting for guidance from the schools in terms of what the curriculum should be at home. But I also didn't want them sitting on their phones and computers all day long. So we arranged for them to have some type of hourly exercise mixed with some studying. It's worked out so far. Now the schools are getting involved, so it's been a little bit easier. Yeah. You know, now that obviously baseball has been put on hold for the time being, hopefully we get back to action sooner rather than later. I know we kind of talked about this offseason, the progress that the San Diego Padres have made, especially this offseason. Yeah. Kind of talk about the Padres' upcoming season when we get back to playing baseball and the hope you guys have. Listen, I have a lot of hope for him. When I got to see in spring training, it was exciting. Jace Tingler came in to have a good staff around him. Because remember, he's a first-year manager. And no matter how many games you've managed at whatever level, at the big league level, it can speed up on you. So it's important to have a good staff alongside you. And he certainly has that with Wayne Kirby and Bobby Dickerson. I mean, Glenn Hoffman. It kind of goes on and on in terms of that staff. So I was excited. More importantly, the things I saw from the players is what really excited me. In years past, you've had Eric Hosmer in one year, Manny Machado in another year where they sign during spring training. So it kind of disrupts your normal flow of spring training. You're bringing in a big guys like Hosmer and Machado, they kind of have to slow down and they have to kind of catch up a little bit. So this was the first year where talking to Jay Singler, he actually had to kind of pull the reins back on these guys. These guys were ready to go out to shoot when spring training started. So that was encouraging. And then you started to see them doing some of the little things in spring. And granted, it's just spring training, but there was certainly a lot to be excited about watching them. We talk all the time about sports culture. Growing up, our heroes, Tony Gwynn Sr., Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, they were the baseball culture. Now we have a group of young guys, Aaron Judge, New York, Cody Bellinger in L.A., Tim Anderson, up-and-coming superstar with the Chicago White Sox. You guys have a guy. Fernando Tatis Jr., as exciting as it gets on a baseball field. You know, can you talk about his style, his brand of baseball, and can it resonate to young players? Oh, wow. I mean, his style definitely can resonate. I mean, who doesn't like a very aggressive style of baseball with the athleticism that Fernando Tatis Jr. displays. 
everybody can get behind that and enjoy it. I think what's unique about Fernando is he's very aware of what he can do on the field and his confidence level for a 21-year-old is higher than I think I've really ever been around. And that's one of the separators about him. You know, I think for him, the question that will be asked is, can he stay healthy for a full 162? And I think as he gains more experience and he gets a little bit older, I think that'll kind of fix itself. I think we all think back to when we were 21. I think every one of us thought we were invincible and that injuries couldn't happen. Yeah. And I think eventually he'll get there. I remember when Bryce Harper came in the league and he was running through walls, literally. And eventually he had to kind of figure out there's a time to throttle down and there's a time to go full out all the time. And I think Fernando's still trying to find that medium. But if he stays healthy, man, the sky is really the limit for him. We're teammates in San Diego. And your father has a special place in my heart. And you know the story. You know, we've talked yep. about this a couple of times. I put this on social media. I was struggling in 2010, bad, the first month of the season. And I asked, hey, would your dad, if you could find some time, if he can kind of look at my swing. And then you asked your dad, so you know what, let's bring Jerry over to the complex, San Diego State. So we brought my swing tape because it wasn't my hit tape. I want to get him in. <laughs> I remember sitting in the office with you and your dad. We put down the DVD of my swing tape because I wasn't getting hits. And I just remember him looking at my swing three or four times. And he stared at me. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I looked at him and said, I got nothing. I got nothing because I was so lost. I was a 10-year big league veteran lost. And your dad took, what, two minutes? And he found out exactly what I was doing wrong. Said, listen, you need to do this, this, this. I remember saying my hands are getting away from my body. Too long, too little. But I thought I was doing everything right. And you need to short yourself up a little bit. It's okay to get something back. But you got to go directly to the ball, hands to the ball. And I just took off. You did. You did. I remember your dad's reaction. And I remember my reactions, too, after I took off. But tell me a little bit about your father kind of helping you and your career along. Because I know he helped me in two minutes. He was able to change my season, really, the second half of my career. But he really helped you throughout your career. Yeah. I mean, my dad and I had a really good relationship. And as I got into the professional realm, my dad obviously was an Hall of Famer, played 20 years in the league. So clearly he knew what he was talking about. But you know how it is. Most father-son relationships, it just takes you a little bit of time to recognize that your dad, no matter what, knows what he's talking about. So. It took me a little bit, but once I got to the professional realm, all the things that my dad had been telling me that I didn't necessarily get because I didn't have enough at-bats, enough experience to really understand it, about halfway into my second year, all of those things started to come to fruition. I started to see what he was talking about. I started to pick up things that the pitcher was doing that I just didn't have the experience to understand. and. He was so tremendous because he was never about the result. Now, I was about the result. I wanted the result. He was always about the process. And as I got into my big league career, I started to realize that if I put more emphasis on the process, the results come along with it. And that something was early on was very difficult for a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old to understand. But, I mean, my dad was tremendous. We talked every day. so. Regardless of if I had a good day, bad day, I could hit him up. A lot of times he didn't necessarily even have to see my swing. 
Mm. He could just feel it from what I was describing in my actions at the plate. And it was usually one or two options he would give me. I would take those that piece of information, work with it the next day. It worked. He probably didn't talk to you when you broke his heart and all of Padres fans' heart when you were in Milwaukee, stepping up to the plate against Trevor Hoffman, <laughs> a Hall of Fame closer. Can you walk us through that moment? You grew up, obviously, a Padre fan. You know Trevor Hoffman personally, being teammates with your dad. You walk up to the plate, huge situation, and you break the Padres' heart. Yeah, came up. We had just been eliminated from playoff contention the night before. So it wasn't as though these games didn't matter. These games mattered for them. And for us in Milwaukee, we were trying to finish above 500 for the first time in a long, long time. So Ned Yost was playing to win. Obviously, the Padres were trying to get into the playoffs, trying to clinch the division at the time. So they were playing to win. And that inning comes up. I think Lance Nix is hitting in front of me. And there's a runner in second base. He ends up getting like six or seven straight chains up from Trevor, right? And so I'm watching this on the on-deck circle. He punches out. I come up to the plate. And I've seen this story before. I've lived it from the time he came to San Diego and that deal for Gary Sheffield till this point on. So all the things my dad used to get on me about, pay attention, pay attention to the surroundings. You don't always need to be talking. All of this kind of came to head at this at bat because I listened. I always paid attention at the games. I was never in the stands messing around. When I was at the field, I was there watching the game. So I knew everything Trevor had to offer. And I knew based on the last at bat and watching him pitch for, I don't know how many years at that point, he wasn't going to get away from that changeup. Yeah. And so sure enough, I come up. First pitch change up, I take for a ball. I think I swing through the next two change ups. And at this point, I know the change up's coming, but in the back of my mind, I can hear my dad's voice saying, Stay on the fastball, adjust down to the change up. Stay on the fastball, adjust down to the off speed. So, sure enough, he throws, I think it was like his, at this point, it must have been 13 or 14 straight change ups. And I was still fooled. That's how good yeah. coffee's change up was. Like, I didn't stay back and have the picture-perfect swing. I was out on my front leg, but I kept my hands back long enough to put some mustard on that ball and got it down that right foot line. And I remember sliding to third base, knowing when this series ended, I was flying home with the owners of the Padres, John and Becky Moore. So I slide into third base, and I just happened to come up, and I make eye contact with both of them. And they just had this look of disgust on their face. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was like, man, I hope I still got a ride home after this did, series. Did you, a ride, did you get a ride back? I did. I got a ride back. And I was like the lonely person on the private jet, just off in the corner by myself. But, you know, it's funny. As a lot of people thought my dad would be upset. You know this. My dad was probably the happiest person in the building. Seeing his son come through in a big moment off of a Hall of Famer. I think even at that point, people knew that was going to be the case. It was a big moment for me. It's one of the biggest moments I've had in my career. I remember watching that at bat, too, because, you know, we all as big leaders watch each other. A game could be going on in Milwaukee, and we're in New York. We're watching that game if we're not playing. So I remember watching that at bat. You had a great at bat. And for you to keep your hands back and fire your hands at the last second and get barrel on it, it was a tremendous at bat. And that's, I think, sometimes gets lost in today's game. You know, there's a lot of hitting gurus out there. So many. And they say, this is the style you need to hit. Is there any advice 
you can give young kids out there that can kind of help bring them along as up and coming hitters? Yeah, do your history. Study your history. People want to reinvent the wheel. We see it across all sports. And listen, the game is meant to evolve. It's not supposed to stay the same. That being said, greatness leaves clues. And throughout the history of all sports, especially baseball, the greats, there isn't a lot of difference when you watch their swing, especially get into the Jackie Robinsons, the Willie Mazes of baseball history. There's not a lot different in terms of how they get to the baseball. Now, that being said, there are certainly more than one way to get there, but the greats all leave clues. And to me, there are constants in all of it, right? Yeah. You got to get a good pitch to hit. You got to be on time and you got to take a fluid swing. And it's easier said than done, but my advice to kids is do your homework. Have a bunch of different hitting coaches, you know, be able to pull from different people because what you'll find, and Jerry, you can attest this, what you'll find is as you go through your journey of learning what kind of hitter you're going to be, you're going to be pulling stuff from all different people anyway. Very true. Very true. Well, I love talking hitting with you. Obviously, you're one of the best guys I've ever been around, just knowing the mindset of a hitter. But enough baseball. Let's talk yeah. about other passion, basketball. And I know you're a huge Laker fan. I know you're a huge Laker fan. This was going to be their year. Hopefully, basketball gets back to playing, hopefully, sometime in late May, early June. But let's talk about the Lakers a little bit. AD, yeah. Ron James have been balling this year. What have you seen from them this year? And do you think they have what it takes to be champions. I 100% think they have what it takes to be champions. I think the thing that's impressed me the most, I mean, listen, LeBron is just, what more can you say about the dude? And listen, this is coming from the biggest Kobe Bryant fan ever, right? And those things don't necessarily mix all the time, but what I have learned watching LeBron is he is just a different athlete. Like 35, right. doing the things that he's doing, moving the way that he's moving. And listen, when you take care, he is a good example of taking care of your body dedic oh. exactly dedicating whatever resources that he has to maximizing his body at its full potential for the longest amount of time and what i appreciate about him is even at this age he's still willing to get down and maybe a lot of that i think has to do with the fact that ad's there kind of pushing him right defensively defensively i haven't seen lebron play this well in a very, very long time. Now, he hasn't done it for the entire season, but there have been lots of moments from this year compared to last year where defensively, this is a throwback, LeBron. Offensively, nothing he does surprise me. I mean, he's, he's 6'8", 270. He can get anywhere on the floor he wants. Beast. When his jump shot is good, he's really unstoppable. And you know what? With AD, I just appreciate the way he brings it defensively every night. Offensively, his shot will be off, but defensively, he's going to bring it every night, and he's been the anchor for the Lakers this year. Yeah, he has been the anchor. I think LeBron has had great teammates really throughout his career. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love in Cleveland. Obviously, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. I just think Anthony Davis is the perfect complement. Anthony Davis doesn't really need the ball all the time. He doesn't. LeBron, handle the ball and throw those lobs out there for AD, utilize his athleticism. So I think they're the perfect match for each other. It would have been really fun. And I hope we get the chance to see it, to see those two guys in the postseason, let's say against the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers, yeah, 100%. I'm going to ask you right now. Right now, I would have given the edge to the Clippers probably about two months ago. 
But now because the rest has come into play, LeBron is kind of taking a step back, making sure that he's well-rested. And then now he's going to get an opportunity after this rest to be full goal again. Do you think the Lakers now will be favored over the Clippers? I think people will still favor the Clippers over the Lakers because of the abundance of reserves they have that have been in big moments. They have some proven reserves, whereas Lakers have a couple, but they don't have as many as the Clippers. But I will say this. I think that last meeting between the two showed the Lakers that their level had risen since the first two matchups. I think, the, I think the size can be a problem for the Clippers. No doubt. That is the thing that they have over the Clippers because when you think about how the Clippers are constructed, they're constructed to beat LeBron on the wings. They have Kawhi, they have Paul George, and they have Patrick Beverly. So you got the whole perimeter covered. Yeah. Their weakness when it comes to the Lakers is on the interior. You got AD, you got JaVale when he's getting open for lobs, and I think those two can really be a problem, especially AD on a pick and roll. When you have to switch out on AD, he has a mismatch. Absolutely right. I hope we get a chance to see that. Two great teams, yeah. Matt. I want to see Kawhi Leonard versus LeBron James. I think the world wants to see it. You know, Kawhi Leonard, the reigning finals MVP from last year coming in, in L.A., and you got LeBron James fully healthy. That's going to be a great matchup. And I love Kawhi. He's an Aztec. So, you know, he has a special place in my heart. But he does play for the wrong L.A. team, unfortunately. <laughs> he plays for the Clippers. So Were you shocked uh, that he went to the Clippers? No, I wasn't. I mean, if anybody knows anything about Kawhi, he's not afraid of stepping out on his own. And to me, it just didn't feel right. As much as I would have loved him to have the purple and gold, it wouldn't have felt right. You know, I've been criticizing Golden State doing it and brought AD and Kawhi. I mean, I wouldn't have a leg to stand on anymore. So it worked out better for the NBA, honestly, that Kawhi ends up in L.A., but he's still wearing the wrong L.A. uniform. Oh, I agree. And Tony, I really appreciate you hopping on here, caught looking. You can follow Tony Gwynn Jr. on Twitter, at Tony Gwynn Jr., also, Padres Radio Broadcast, you do a great job there with San Diego. Obviously, you know, I have much love for the Padres. We had a great time in 2010. Continue success, Tony. See you down the road, brother. Thank you, brother. Take care. Take care, man.